We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men for Moto, and you're listening to episode 79, Goblin Motivational Speaker. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. How are you, sir? Quite motivated. How about you, Mr. Seville? I am also motivated, I would say, but um, N19's disappearing off Magic Online or uh, Magic Arena, so I'm not as motivated to play it anymore, which is unfortunate. Yeah, we're going back to Dominaria, um, which, I, you know... It, it, I'm used to, for years and years, being a Magic Online streamer and always only interested in the newest draft format, and that's the only one I want to play, and I'd get in and play it for ages, but it it's funny to me, now that I've picked up more and more of an audience on Twitch uh, that's mainly interested in Arena, a lot of them are excited for Dominaria to be coming back. They want more Dominaria, so I'm like, you know, I, I will happily play Dominaria too. Uh, we've got Dominaria coming up this week. Uh, Triple M and Ket the week after, which will be the first time that we've seen that uh, on Arena. So I'm I'm kind of excited to dip my toe in that again, although I don't remember that being an amazing format. Yeah, I don't remember enjoying that as much. Um, but Dominaria was great, obviously. So if you can get some value out of that set returning, um, you know, power to you, I guess. I'm yeah. I'm still in the camp of I like to draft the current set, the new hotness. I like to go to my LGS and be relevant and up-to-date on my draft information and my draft meta. But um, I can appreciate that in the arena kind of meta economy, you need to have people that are getting cards from different collections or different sets, and you need to keep things fresh and rotating. I just wish there was a way that we could all play our draft formats that we like, but I don't think there's enough players on Magic Arena to do that and uh, and have kind of a successful experience, a positive experience for everyone. So... I'll, I'll take it, I guess. It's it's also possible, like, I did 25 uh, M19 drafts on Arena so far, and I may even get in one more tomorrow morning before they reset, uh, plus a handful the week prior on uh, Magic Online. So, like, I've kind of done what I wanted to do with M19 right now, and I feel like if they take it, you know, it's the same way. We got Dutch, my cat, a bunch of toys, and we got him this cool little mouse, and he played with it for a couple days, and then he didn't want it anymore, so I took it away. And then I brought it back three days, and he's like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, it's just, it's the same thing. They take it away from me for a, a couple weeks, and I'll be happy to see it come back. Are you saying that Magic players have the memory of a goldfish? No, the memory of a cat. Mm, that sounds like a goldfish. I think Dutch might be closer to a goldfish than a cat. He's closer to a large dog than a cat. That's fair, that's fair. So uh, you had a big stream today, today being Wednesday the 1st, I guess, of August. Um you hit your four-year anniversary as a Twitch partner. Yeah, that was kind of a big deal. That felt good. Like, I, I've been full-time streaming for, I think, two years now. Uh, but I made Twitch partner, obviously, before I, I went for that. And that was really cool. And I, I just had a uh, friend of the podcast and stream and of Mana Deprived in the olden days, uh, Ken, redid the subscriber badges. And I had him put in a four-year badge because it's like, we're actually going to be hitting that pretty quickly. So, like, I got to see people getting their mythic bolus horns today, which was kind of neat. 
Uh, but yeah, it was it was just a nice little milestone to be like, yeah, I've, I've actually been doing this a while. That's crazy. I mean, you think of all the things that have evolved in Magic Online in the last four years. And then also Arena as well. But we've gone from... Did you stream the V3 client? Yes. So you stream V3 into V4, which was probably a nightmare to start with. I started with V4, so I don't remember the... Like, I don't have any kind of context on the transition from V3 to V4. Um, you went through pods. Yep. And then the start of leagues. And leagues yep. were going to be the death of Magic Online. And then mm-hmm. they weren't. Yep. Um, the first cube drafts. Mm-hmm. The first flashback drafts. No, they'd been doing flashback drafts before I, okay. uh, I made Twitch partner. Those are longstanding. Okay. Um, the transition from play or from uh, phantom points to play points. <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> I oh, the have, memories. I still have an, a weird number of play points from that transition, and that was terrible. Um, mm-hmm. And how many sets do you think you've... Then how many sets would you have gone through in four years? Four sets a year? 16 sets? That, that seems like far too few. It was... Uh, the, the the very first stream highlight I have is from a Triple Dragon's Maze draft. Triple Dragon's Maze. So RTR block, Theros block. What was after Theros block? Cons block? Cons. Plus Origins in there. Plus there was an M set in there. Mm-hmm. Plus, Battle for Zendikar block, and then all and of shadows the, over Innistrad. And shadows over Innistrad, and then all of the standard blocks. That's crazy when you put it like that. That is an amazing time period. That's basically as long as I've been replaying Magic for. Yeah, it's it's been a wild ride, and I'm I'm very appreciative of my stream viewers and supporters that I've been able to turn my hobby and and get to call it a job now. So thank you all for for tuning in and watching me draft. And I'm also comfortable, more comfortable now that I've just embraced that I really just want to play limited, and I don't have to play the other stuff, and I don't have to stress about it. And life has just been good since I kind of jumped, embraced the quick draft, and have gone from there. So that's obviously more recent. But looking back over my history, I've always been a limited player who dabbles in constructed when I see a cooler, powerful deck. Yeah. Man, we, we should have done like a uh, This Is Your Life or This Is Your Stream podcast in the last four years. We had clips of the mandolin. Nobody wants that. Oh, everybody wants that. Yeah. The old apartment. Those were the days, yeah. Those were the days. All right, now we're getting a little too nostalgic. Let's uh, let's carry on with uh, with some Magic Online and, and some Arena news. So um, some big announcements and some big things happening in Magic Online this month. Um First thing is we've got Zendikar flashback drafts this week, which is kind of cool if you're into that. It's not my thing. I didn't draft that set when it was out. I wasn't playing at the time. Um, some people love the format. Some people hate the format. Some people are very vocal about the format. Where do you fall on Zendikar as a flashback draft format? This was while I was on Magic Break, uh, so I didn't play it when it was relevant. I have played it when it was flashback previously, um, and I would tell anybody that's going into it to just understand that it is a very fast format. Every color has two drops, and you should be taking them. Uh, if if not because you plan to kill your opponent with them, because your opponent's planning to kill you with them. Uh, there were some neat mechanics in it, um, and it, it seemed like an interesting set, but it was not uncommon for games to be over relatively quickly there. I think it's really cool that Magic Online still does those flashbacks, and when they do one for a set that I really enjoyed, I'm absolutely going back to play them. Uh, it's just Zendikar's not that set for me. Right, okay. Um, so no flashback primer from us unfortunately this time around yeah 
Um, the other cool thing, which is more of a constructed thing, is uh, there's a popper gauntlet on uh, Magic Online. I think it started this week. I don't. I don't have my dates in front of me here, but um, they've got a whole bunch of curated popper lists. So if that's your thing. Uh, you'll remember from the past, the gauntlet was usually the Pro Tour Standard Gauntlet or the Pro Tour Modern Gauntlet, where they would take um, eight unique decks, generally the top performing decks from the top eight or from the top 16, top 32. And uh, you'd jump into a queue and you'd get a random deck a few minutes to review. And then you just smash it against other decks from the gauntlet. Uh, it seemed kind of neat. People got a lot of value out of that. Um, the standard one, one of the first ones was kind of well-received. There was a couple of ones recently that weren't because cards were bugged or whatever. Um, but uh, now they're doing a popper one. And popper has kind of been this like slow burning format, it seems like, on Magic Online, where there's not a lot of official support for it. They only recently got a league, like in the last nine months, I want to say. They have a, a friendly league for popper. Um, this could be kind of the, the starting point of more formal support for, for popper online and maybe just popper in general. So if that's your thing, you can go check that out, and it follows the same kind of uh, phantom point structure that uh, that all the other gauntlets have in the past, I think. I really enjoyed that first Pro Tour gauntlet when they did it with Standard. I signed up and I ran through it until I'd played all of the decks and then kept playing and thought it was great. I never understood why they did flashback Standard events, and I think that's honestly one of the dumbest things I've seen on Magic Online since I started playing. It's like, I, I just don't know who they were trying to appeal to there. This looks like exactly what you'd want to be doing, and Pauper is an excellent gateway drug to Magic Online. So if you've gotten into Arena lately, and you're thinking, you know, I might want to check out this Magic Online, and there is a lot to love about Magic Online, Pauper is a wonderful format to get started in, because you can build a very competitive deck for under 50 bucks. Yeah. Like, and that's that's just not something you can do anywhere else. So here's your chance to come in and test drive them. Uh, I, I think this is a, a great format for them to have, and honestly a great time to be showcasing Pauper. Yeah, it's it's funny because everybody thinks Popper is synonymous with cheap, and it's not necessarily. And on Magic Online, Popper is kind of to the point where it's popular enough that it's driving the prices of some of these cards up. So your average deck, I think I read somewhere today, was around $50 to get in. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the upside is the event is so cheap to enter, so the Popper League is so cheap to enter, and the prizes are so... I want to say friendly, like they're not top heavy, they're spread out nice and evenly. Um, you really only have to go about 54 to 55% in order to break even on those things. So if you're if you're an above average player when it comes to popper, um, you can probably get the cost of your deck back fairly quickly, I would say, if you're if you're playing popper online. So it's 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 a very good way to get in, learn the interface in a kind of environment that is not risky, I guess, when it comes to your bankroll because it's so cheap to play. Yeah, there's some fun Pauper decks out there. Like, Pauper is one of the constructed formats that I tried. I had a cool Jeskai Bounce deck, uh, and it was a lot of fun. So I'd, yeah. I'd encourage people, like, again, if you're interested in Magic Online um, and you're interested in Pauper, check it out. I agree. Finally, this is the one that I'm most excited for, Chaos Drafts on Magic Online. I don't remember if this was on our one of our Christmas wish lists. It was certainly on mine. There you go. So they've announced on August 22nd that uh, for a week we'll have Chaos Drafts on Magic Online and they will follow the same prize structure as cubes. So it'll be just like a cube. Uh, it's phantom. You don't get to keep the cards. But um, I'm very interested to see the packs that they throw in here. It, they said it won't be everything. Um, so it'll probably only go back. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't go back before anything in, like pre-modern. But um, 
there's a lot of crazy stuff you can open and some neat two card combos that I'm looking forward to hoping to open at some point. Chaos Draft is huge fun. Now, this isn't quite what I wanted. What I wanted was something where I could invite my friends and we each bring boosters of whatever we want. So if I've got buddies and we want to do a triple Innistrad draft, we could do that. Or if I've just got a Theros pack laying around and I want to burn it, we could do that too. I've done that in paper many, many times. I'm curious here, and we don't have all of the information yet, because some people will say it's not a true chaos draft unless they're all separate packs, right? That every pack that's open in the draft has to be a separate one. Or if it's truly random, all that it says here, at least in what I saw, is that each player will open a random pack with some curation. Mm-hmm. So, it, so like, is it possible for me to open an Origins pack and someone else at the table open an Origins pack, or is that not going to happen? Uh, so it, we really just need more information. And I suspect that once we have it, we'll do a, a more fully-fledged how-to-do-a-chaos-draft episode. Um, but I, I can tell you, I did a chaos draft um, at GP Toronto when I didn't make day two with a bunch of stream viewers and friends. And I saw some really cool stuff happening. You remember the burning fist Minotaur and M and cat, uh, discard a card and give it first strike. Yep. Martin discarded a card with madness and then played it off of that guy. <laughs> uh, Scott was casting his Eldrazi with deserts, colorless scorched sun scorched deserts. And I was like, there's just some neat combos that I wouldn't have thought I'd ever bump into in Magic because they're basically combos that have existed but just weren't good enough to make it into Standard. Mm-hmm. And you can see things like that as you go through here and play these and be like, wow, this is a neat two-card combo. So like, I'm really excited to get to explore that. And I hope that this is something that takes off and that they'll do more often. Uh, it, it looks like they're saying they're going to run it from August 22nd to the 28th. Uh, and this is what... Like some people have asked me, are you ever going to stream Magic Online again? Yes, from August 22nd to August 28th, I will be streaming Magic Online. I'm very excited about this and I want to play it. And it's stuff like this that will continue to pique my interest there. Yeah, and that's the that's the upside of Magic Online is that they can do things like this. That's not quite there in Arena yet, yet being yeah. the keyword there. So um, yeah, I look forward to... The closest thing I had to a Chaos Draft was a Conspiracy Draft where we opened three of the uh i forget the name of the card but it's like the one where you go and fetch a booster and you open it and pass it around um so you add like another booster to the pack we opened three of those in one draft and uh, that was kind of fun because i'd open cards like we opened a shards of alara pack and i'd never seen any of the cards in there before i'm like oh, i don't no idea what these cards do um and it was, it was pretty sweet it was it was definitely different um it takes a lot of time if you're new to a lot of those sets i think to understand the cards and kind of grok them but um, if, if you're just a general Magic player, you should be able to get by with kind of solid strategy. But we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. I think we'll do a full episode on it and really sink our teeth into it. Yeah, Chaos Draft is worth an episode for sure. All right. Um, and then on Arena, um, we've had... What did we have last week? We had the Brewer's Delight, which was kind of a flop. Did you do anything on that? No. Probably not, hey? No, because you're and not a construction player. And I'm not. And then everybody in my chat that tried it said it was awful. Like, I really commend them for what they were trying to do here. That's a fantastic idea, is create kind of a safe place for people to go play janky decks. But in reality, that safe place for people to play janky decks is a friends list. Yeah, uh, and exactly. they, they need to, They're going to implement that. They need to implement that. And when they have it, you can play your, your mill deck against your opponent's mono enchantment deck and have a blast. But until then, you just... 
it doesn't matter how bad the prizes are. Somebody's going to get their jollies going in and beating up the kids. Uh, and that's that's exactly what happened in this. Exactly. So, um, which is unfortunate because, like you said, it was a good idea. It was they have to experiment with these things, and I don't mind them doing it as long as they take this data and they realize that it it wasn't the thing that that players were looking for. What has yeah. been working quite well, though, and I know you don't play constructed, but I've been playing a little bit of constructed before M nineteen. Is the the deck based matchmaking seems to be working quite nicely. So I did some experiments with it where I was taking the pre-constructed decks that you earn from doing your daily quests or whatever, your your tutorial quests as well. And I found that despite me being gold level, um I could take these decks in unmodified and I would get decks that are closer in power level to the deck that I was playing. Um, so they were usually better because the, my opponents were still in the in the top silver or bottom gold ranks, um, but I wasn't playing kind of these meta decks, which was interesting to me. So, um, and then when I would break out kind of a, a deck that had a bunch of constructed playable cards, like Pro Tour quality cards in it, I started to play against these Chain Whirler decks and things like that again. So it was interesting to see that, at least on the surface, this deck based matchmaking appears to be working. Um, the downside is is that if I was using those pre-constructed decks is that I would also sometimes get matched up against bronze players, um, which you can put any deck in my hand and against somebody that is a true bronze player and they're not just working their way up through the ranks because they're new, uh, new to arena, not new to magic, is I can trounce them with pretty much anything. So there's still maybe a little bit of matchmaking there that needs to be tweaked, um, but the deck-based matchmaking seemed, seemed pretty cool. That's cool. I didn't even know they'd done that. Yeah, and, and I think it works out because... Um, if if you're new to the game um, and you don't have this large collection, you should be playing against people that are close to you on that, um, and it seems to be doing that. So maybe it'll get rid of some of those early field ads that we had kind of in the past where new players would come in and they just get trounced and they didn't want to play anymore because they can't beat a Scarab God. Well, now instead they're beating, you know, they're beating their opponent's kitty cats instead of Scarab Gods. So I think that's a good, that's a good change. Yeah, agree. All right. Um... Anything else you want to talk about on the news front, or you want to just kind of dive into our week-long M19 experience? Well, you know, I'll mention this, too, as you're talking about the new player experience for uh, Arena. Um, Kelsey and I had our friend Justin over, who is also, he played duels a lot, um, and casually plays Magic now and then. I was like, you know, they gave me so many beta keys, I'm, I'm going to give you guys one. And Kelsey was like, I'll, I'll fire it up. And Justin was like, yeah, let's watch it. So she played through the tutorial. And, and for those who are not aware of, of Kelsey and I, she's a very good Magic player. Um, she has not played it since Shadows over Innistrad. Like the story kind of grips her. And she's also not a super competitive game player. She usually likes cooperative games better. But we went to a pre-release, uh, excuse me, a PT, PPTQ for Eldritch Moon uh, Sealed. We met in the finals. She scooped because she didn't care about going to the Pro Tour. We played the game out at home, and naturally she beat me. So we're not talking about somebody who's a magic chump here. Um, so set her up. She played through the tutorial and then was like, I want to try a game against a person. What deck should I build? And I said, well, Dave said that the red-white vehicles deck was the best. And I just off the top of my head listed cards to put in it. She put them all in there. I had enough wild cards to craft three toolcraft exemplars. Played her first game and won it. So I think the red-white deck is still there. I think the new player experience was great. And I was surprised to see that when she logged in, she had enough gold for two drafts. Yeah, they also they gave some uh, everybody 5,000 gold, like everybody, 
for the stress test, even people that didn't actually play in the stress test. So that was kind of sweet. Um, but it's nice that you can start off with at least one draft um, and then in this case, two specifically. So we'll see what the new player experience is like when they go live. But yeah, um, yeah no, that's great to hear. I haven't been having good success with the red-white deck lately, so I need to cut it and do something else. Chain rollers are too um, prevalent, I guess, is the word that I'm looking for. They're kind yeah, of all over enough. the map. But um, there's some neat decks, though, and we should see some interesting decks coming out of the Pro Tour Team Series this weekend. Um, then, obviously, M19 has a nice suite of cards. There's a Black Zombie deck that's kind of going around that's pretty sweet. Um, one of the resources I've been looking at is uh, MTG Goldfish. Yeah. has a section on um, budget decks, but then there's also a section on um, budget, or sorry, arena decks in general. And you can find budget decks in there. It'll actually give you counts of the number of wild cards you need for a lot of those things. Um, and users submit budget deck ideas to that often. So it's kind of neat to go in there and just kind of get some ideas for the for the uh, for the decks that you need that you want to be playing. It's it's really cool. So, um, but like I said, overall, it seems to be a pretty good experience from the constructed side. Draft, on the other hand, is so much better. Oh God, yeah, that's where it's at. That's it's, it's where it's at. Quick draft. Um, even though it's a little bit of a slow bleed sometimes compared to the num- what the numbers say for competitive, um, I was able to turn about 45,000 gold, sorry, 50,000 gold into 7,100 gems overall with a 70% win rate over 10 drafts. So I didn't spend a single drop of gems and I got close to, what's the thousand or the 10,000 gem pack cost? What's the, is that $50? I'm not sure. I can boot it up and look real quick. No, no, no. It's fine. Um, I, th- I think it's in that fifty dollars range. But I got I got close to that much value out of it, and I just got to play ten drafts, which is a reasonable amount of play. I did a bunch on stream. I did a bunch off stream. Um, yeah, that's the fifty dollars package. Yeah, quick I looked draft, it up anyway. Quick draft is the way to go um, for people that want to draft and want to draft a lot. How did you get fifty thousand gold? What did you do, David? What did I do? I played every day, and I did minimum four wins a day with my red-white vehicles deck for however many days that is. Um, so if you get your first quest, is 500 gold. And then uh, you get about, what is it, 250 plus 100 plus 100 plus 50. So I think you get another 500 gold for your first four wins. Um, so 1,000 gold. Plus then the new player experience rewards like you get 250 gold every couple of days in there and you just kind of stack all that up i basically didn't draft for a month uh saving up for m19 and um just made sure to log in every once every day or once every couple of days to do my quests and uh, just saved all that gold so if you know what you're doing and want to draft you can basically just do your quest for a month and then go draft infinite you also could have jumped in there and done some drafts to break this up and done a draft every three days if that's what you'd wanted to do, right? Yeah. The, my thing was I didn't want to play Hour of Devastation. I didn't want to play Ixalan. I didn't play Ammo Cat. I wanted to play M19, and I wanted to play as much M19 for, quote, free. This is like an experiment on the economy for me, I think. This is less like, you know, because I know these gems are going away. I could have just dumped them all. It doesn't matter. This was, to me, if I wanted to specifically draft a set, how long would I have to save for, and how many drafts could I get for that? And I think that was pretty good value. So I probably could have taken this 7,000 gems that I earned for my 50,000 gold and done my guess is probably 25 or 30 more drafts on the tail end of it. I bet it's more than that, Dave, if you're, if you're staying around 70%, because I, I bought the $20 gym bundle, right? 
which gives you like 3,600. Yep. I still have 5,000. And I drafted through all of Aether Revolt, all of Hour of Devastation. I didn't track any of that. I tracked M19 because you suggested that I did. And I did 25 M19 drafts and still and still have gems. Mm-hmm. And you were all, obviously you spend your gold there in there too, right? Yeah. Every time I hit 5,000, I just dump that right into it. Yeah. So that, that helps too, because you're, you probably would have earned a similar amount of gold, actually more gold than I would have across that, that time span as well. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like I think the economy for a drafter, if you're even in that like 60% win range is probably pretty good. Now, I think so too. Question for you. How much actual dollars are you okay to spend per draft per quick draft? On arena so at the end of the day if you dump like you said fifty dollars in or twenty dollars in how many drafts are you okay getting for that value um well apparently according to this i do about a hundred drafts a month uh so if i can get a hundred drafts for 20 bucks a month i'm good with that you're good with that and I, I think that's i've gotten that plus some like i'm still not out i'm still going on this but 20 bucks a month seems quite reasonable to me to invest in this like I pay close to that for a World of Warcraft account. I probably pay more than that for cable that I barely watch. Like, that seems really fair to me. I was concerned, like, I can't be dropping 100 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month. Like, at that point, like, I'm just putting all the income I have from streaming into continuing to play the game. Like, that's not going to work. Uh, but at it, it, 20 bucks a month, that seems reasonable. And, and like I said, I... I haven't spent anything this month. It was last month that I, I did that because I tried running competitive and ran out and got really grumpy. And like that, that was no fun. There were many, many old man yells at clouds pictures posted over the internet with my face on them. Uh, but since I got over that and just jumped into quick draft, I've, I've been super happy. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good price point. Um, I think your average player obviously is significantly less than that, but I think somewhere around the dollar a draft is, but they're going to be playing a lot less drafts than I am, right? Ab- absolutely, they're going to be playing less drafts. So, like maybe that twenty dollars a month is like ten drafts, right, or fifteen drafts. Um, but I think that I think that dollar a draft price point would make me happy as well. Um, if if I was going to be drafting kind of exclusively on Arena, now I really like Arena for drafting when I'm not streaming because I like if I'm going to be drafting offline, I, I like to not pay for it. Anything that I was drafting online on my stream, I think it would be more, it would be more acceptable to me to pay for it, which is probably why I like, I like streaming magic online more than magic arena. Um, because I like to take it a little more seriously, but like, I don't think I would pay dollar drafts if I was, if I was just playing off, not offline, but not on stream. And I was just sitting down and just kind of jamming drafts on a Saturday afternoon while it was raining outside or something like that. And the reason is there is that I think it's way easier for me to blow through, like 5,000 gems drafting quick draft when I don't have anything holding me accountable. (laughs) And I would be worried that I would just, you know, dump money into it and then draft poorly and then dump money into it and then draft poorly and then dump more money into it and then say to myself, geez, I I could have been like gambling at the casino instead. Um, There's nothing to stop you from doing that on Magic Online either. Like a, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away when I had moved to Phoenix for work and I didn't know anybody I fired up Magic Online after not playing it for 10 years, and that's exactly what I did. Uh, it wasn't raining because it never rains in Phoenix, but it was hot, and I didn't want to go outside. So and I found out they were doing—it was when they did their Mirage release events 
on Magic Online. I was like, that's actually one of my favorite old sets. I would love to draft that. And I think I spent 50 bucks and drafted all weekend because I was terrible and it was expensive and I didn't care. Like at that time, 50 bucks wasn't a lot of money to me. And I like that was my entertainment for the entire weekend and I was happy about it. Yeah. I just find it so easy to concede <laughs> in Magic Arena and I probably shouldn't. This I don't. Me. I know this is on me. This is not on any. This is not on arena. This is not on anything. This is on me. I got to get over it. Yeah, get over it, man. Play to win. All right. Um. So you talked about your twenty-five quick drafts for M nineteen and your seventy what percent win rate? Seventy-one point three. Seventy-one point three. You got me beat over a larger sample size. I had ten drafts. Um. Seventy point one percent win rate, and that was all on gold. So not bad. Pretty good win rate between us. What are yeah. some things that you noticed from the draft portion, drafting against these bots? So, obviously, it's not the same as drafting against humans. Um, I noticed a couple of things, but what did you notice doing 25 drafts, and how can we exploit this going forward for M19 drafters? A big thing for me, and I say this every time people talk about drafting with bots, is you have to figure out what's open. You can't force a pick. Um, and like cutting just doesn't work well enough. You only get one pack of cards from that person. So I'd, I had a draft today. Oddly enough, it was a zero three, but I I don't think that was the deck. The deck looked absolutely beautiful. Where I first picked an Ajani, second picked a Skyrider Patrol, and then just got you know Rabid Bite, Rabid Bite, um, Omen Speaker, Switcheroo, and I was like, okay, we just have to get into this. And chat was, you know, you need to take the 2-1 in white so you can play a Johnny. I'm like, we can't do that. We have to just get out of it. The closest thing I did to forcing was I opened a bolus. And for those of you who haven't been to my stream, there's a subtle theme there. Uh, it's cats and nickel bolus. So, like, obviously I had to do that and played it. And ironically, that deck looked like a pile of jank uh, and got seven wins. So, like... You never know looking at the deck how it's going to go. But my advice is if you want to win consistently, figure out what they're passing you and like just take the, the best card out of the first two or three packs and then go from there. It's mm -hmm. almost like you have to start drafting again from the beginning. Uh, I heard a, a really interesting, I listened to a bunch of nerd podcasts, and this one was talking about people who teach guitar and how if they had them play with their non-dominant hand before their students came in, they were way better at giving advice to their students. So it's almost like if you're going to get into this in draft, you kind of have to go back to those drafting basics about just stay open for a couple packs and go from there. And I, I found that to be very successful for me here. I found it feels impossible to cut bots Yeah, off. you can't do it. It's like they get into their lane in their first three picks and they don't move. So it's almost like you're drafting against new drafters as well. You know what I mean? So like you're draft you're at your LGS and you're playing against seven people that know how to play magic, but they've never drafted before. And all they know is that they're going to first pick something and stay in those lanes. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's you're playing against players who are actually really good at the game and understand how it works. Like, honestly, I feel like drafting against bots is more fun than drafting against people. Because I never have to worry about, you know, somebody hating a card that just doesn't make sense for them to hate. Mm -hmm. So many people don't get that in the draft portion, you're not competing with anyone. You're supposed to be cooperating with the table so that you all get the best decks that you can. And then when you sit down across from one person, that's when the conflict starts. So I, I, I feel like I kind of can cut. Like I've noticed if, if white is open for me and I'm taking all the good white cards, I'm probably going to see them in the other direction too. It's just that 
cutting is never as good as reading the signals because you only get one pack of cut cards, whereas you get two packs of signal cards. Hmm. A couple of things that I noticed, some things that stand out to me is like, I don't think I ever saw a single Colossal Dreadmaw in like all of my drafts. There's like oh, these yeah, the weird, bots love those. There's these weird cards that the bots pick up on and you never see them. Um, and also just having good removal. I mean, this is this just M19 in general, but like I think taking the removal is more important in arena, especially in a best of one. Like you just want to make sure your deck fires on all cylinders. You want a deck that's consistent, curves out, has solid removal, and you'll go seven wins pretty much reliably. You know, like, you can try to do janky things, I think, but if you're in there trying to get your maximum value, is just draft a solid curve and draft really good removal, and the bots will give you that curve. You just have to make sure you prioritize the removal. Yeah. I mean, this is a format that includes a pants deck, and you need to be prepared to handle that pants deck. And, like, a well-timed removal spell and green-white pants just folds. Mm-hmm. Or um, a well-timed disperse. Like, I've come to love disperse. That's interesting to me. I haven't played a ton of Disperse. Um, I've kind of had that spot in my blue decks for Essence Scatter slash Cancel instead. Um, and I've been pretty happy with it. I think the one time I did play Disperse was like a blue-green tempo-ish deck where I wanted them to get out of the way of my things that didn't have Trample. Um, and that kind of worked out. But overall, I think I've been you know pretty happy with the Essence Scatters and the Counter Spells and things like that in, uh, in M19 Quick Draft. Um, do you do anything differently in a best of one than you would in a best of three in M19? I don't think it's that differently. I've been main decking plummet, but we talked about that at the beginning of the format and I did that even in magic online and was happy about it. I have been main decking naturalize a little bit more here than I think I might have otherwise. Um, and I've, I've also been really happy with that as well. So I, just, I, I think that's the thing is like, you should be main decking Plummet anyway, whether it's you're playing best of three or best of one, but I think you should probably main deck a Naturalize or a, what's the white one, Invoke the Divine or whatever. Put put that in your deck. Yeah, you might call me crazy, but um, I played a Naturalize over my fourth copy of Rabbit Bite in a green, green red deck. There had to be a better cut. You're crazy. But no. I, I agree. I'd play the naturalize. Because I, I was a little short on creatures. I think I only had like 13 or 14 creatures. And I had uh, Colossal Majesty. So I was going to get card advantage there. And um, it just felt like the right cut. Right? Like it's like I had really struggled to get things figured out. Um, actually, I almost cut um, Titanic Growth. But with no, like, all my things kind of stopped at four power. And I was like, you know, I might need to kill a 6 6 with a Rabid Bite plus Titanic Growth combo, which is funny because I did that twice. That doesn't <laughs> feel very good. And then my opponent had to disperse one time and is like, yeah, this sucks. But, See, I'm uh, telling you, disperse is great. It seems, seems okay, doesn't it? Um, and I wasn't disappointed whenever I drew the naturalize in that, uh, in that scenario. So I was, I was pretty okay with that. One thing I have been doing, though, is sometimes I don't main deck a plummet. If I have a naturalize, I, I kind of like, I kind of have those taking up the same spot. And the reason for it is, is because if I have enough rabid bites, those are like my plummets in a lot of yeah. cases. Um, or if I have a giant spider and a titanic growth, that's also like a plummet or a mighty leap or something like that. So sometimes I can get away without main decking a plummet. Um, but I mean, <clears throat> makes me wish I had best of three because a lot of those decisions are so much easier post board when you know for sure what your opponent's running. Um, and you can just kind of go to your sideboard and like, yep, I know that I need to bring this plummet back in or I need to bring this naturalize in or side it out or whatever. 
Um, Rexage is pretty huge, though. I've been, like, overvaluing, I think, Rexage in, especially in Arena. I think it's just because of the meta. I think I see a lot of those, like, uh, what's the uh, prodigious growth? Is that the word that I'm looking for? The plus seven, plus seven? Yeah, but like Oaken form is oh, is good enough reason to run it. Absolutely. And I see a lot of enchantment style decks in Arena, and I don't know if that's just small sample size or if that's because people latch onto it and kind of pick it highly. Do you know what I mean? Like well, the the tutorial teaches you that you're supposed to slam enchantments on your creatures. And then a big theme of the green-white deck is you should be putting enchantments on your creatures. And, like, if they do the turn two Vigilance guy, turn three Oaken form, like, you got a 5-5 five, five Vigilance to deal with. So if, if you deal with it, you're way ahead of that game. And if you don't, they're going to kill you pretty quickly. Uh, so, like, I, I've even played Oaken form. I did one Pants deck. Um, now, my Pants deck uh, also had three Luminous Bonds. And two of the Seder guys to draw when you played the enchantments. So it's like, I'll put a couple Oaken forms in here. So I, I did do it once, and it, it was fine. I think I had six wins with that one. But like it's it's not something I'm doing often, although I do see opponents going for it a lot. So I, I try to make sure I've got at least four ways to deal with a Voltron uh, so that hopefully I can have one in my hand to stop something early. Yeah. One of the interesting things that that has kind of dawned on me as i played this week is that i'm very curious to know and i wish i wish i could be a, a fly on the wall on the data center of of magic arena so i could look these numbers up and but i would like to know if all of the archetypes are evenly drafted or if if there's a skew right or is, or if it's, is it just my is it just kind of my perception and my bias when I, when I play against all of these decks, but I should start noting what the decks are that I play against. And the reason I say that is because on magic online, you have eight drafters in a pod and all eight of them will get a deck. And then those eight decks will go out and they'll play. So you'll, you know, there'll be a bunch of different archetypes that are drafted. Was that on your end or my end? That was on my end. Uh, Perforos is angry. We had a little lightning strike, but I think we'll be okay. Okay, great. But on magic arena, you have one drafter in a pod that actually goes and plays games. So in theory, it's possible that everybody that ever drafts M19 could draft the exact same archetype. And, and every single game that you play against would be a mirror match. It's theoretically possible if everybody sat down tomorrow and said, we're all going to draft green white and nobody's drafting anything else. You can't get that on magic online. So I'm very curious to know if there's a skew and if there is a skew, which archetypes are the ones that are being played more. Is it green-white? Is it green in general? Because green is a is a creature-heavy deck in which, you know, maybe newer players are playing those more. Is blue underdrafted? Because, again, there's more new players drafting and maybe control is not something that's new player-friendly. I'd really like to see where that skew is and if there's something that the arena team can do to kind of change that, if it's even something that they're concerned about. I don't know if they're, if we should be concerned about that, um, but I would really, I'd be interested to know if there's something that they're looking at. You bring up an interesting point. I, I imagine that it's something they don't care too much about for the future of quick draft because eventually competitive draft and whatever that third version is, I imagine we're drafting against real people. Mm -hmm. So like it, it may not be too big a priority for them to get the bots to be amazing because I'm very hopeful that that second draft, that in-between quick and competitive, is what I'm looking for. Where I get best of threes, I get to play against people, and the prize structure is such that I can, you know, pay 20 bucks a month 
and draft and entertain my stream. Um, so I, I think that's the, the next big thing we've got coming for Arena is actually drafting against people. And I'm very excited to see how they implement that. But for now, you, you do have a point. I, my decks tended to be green more often than not. Yeah, it's just easy to draft. And there's so many cards that it seems that the bot undervalued that it kind of indicated it was open. I could get late rabid bites. I could get dried green speakers passed to me. Like I said, I never saw a colossal dreadmaw, but I mean, I'd see I did. Thornhide. I got a bunch of them, and they're great. I'd see thornhide wolves for days. Like those were my win conditions. Um, Speaking of which, that guy deserves a medal. Thornhide wolves is actually great. It's kind of funny. So <laughs> when I was streaming the other day, I was uh, streaming on Magic Online before M nineteen came out on Arena. And I quizzed the chat. I'm like, guess what my most drafted common is? And I said, you'll never guess. And there's a bunch of guesses like for Stag and Luminous Bonds and all this stuff. Nope. It was Thornhide Wolves. And the funny thing was, is I wasn't even playing him all that frequently. I was just in green and like the last four picks of a pack, there's only one green card. I'm like, sweet, I'll take the Thornhide Wolves. I might need to bring it in out of the board. Should be main decking those. Yeah, you know, I've been happy with... uh... Two of those and two of the Pizza Monks as my five drops in green decks. And I'm like, that's just kind of exactly where I want to be. Man, I'm not sold on the Pizza Mage. and Get I involved, think... man. He's good. I've had him in Colossal Majesty decks, and he's been great there. Like, don't get me wrong. Colossal Majesty plus him, they're best buds. I think where I'm a little down on it is, is that it just dies to everything. You know what I mean? So, like, you're, you're paying five mana to kill your opponent's 2-2 and draw a card, which... I'd rather Lich's Caress in that case. Um, but You don't draw a card off Lich's Caress. Well, I, no, I get but what you, you're saying. But you, you, you kill something better, right? And and it's just yeah. like, so you can't overdraft it? Or if you have some way to give it evasion, like with a Pegasus Courser, or some way to give it Trample, like maybe Talons or something like that, then I think it goes up in value. But I think, you know, you can't put five in your deck. And I put three in my deck and was happy about it. I had three in my Colossal Majesty deck, and that was the only time I was happy. I think I'd just rather play Wolves all the time, um, most of the time. But it's interesting we- because I think there's a lot of cards that are like this, where like I can be down on them and you can be high on them, and neither of us are necessarily wrong. Yeah. So, anyway. But can we talk about Colossal Majesty and how great it is to build a deck around? Yeah, and you don't even really have to build around it that much. Like, I've been putting it in decks that had, again, two wolves, two pizza mages, two dread maws. That's all you need. Mm-hmm. Like, you you need six creatures and it's playable. If you can get, like, you know, eight, nine, ten of your creatures that actually trigger it, that's even better. So it's obviously the, the best in red-green where you can get those four twos. But even without it, I was very happy with Colossal Majesty. And I was thinking that was going to be hard to enable, and it's just not. No, and... It- there's enough board stalls, right? Where like you're gonna have a four power creature on board and you can't attack with it, so you might as well just draw a card off of it. Um, my favorite thing to do with it is to play my wolves and then they luminous bonds it, and I'm like, cool. I'm just gonna. Draw I got cards. a plan. I'm, I'm just, just gonna, gonna draw cards forever. Um, I had a game, multiple games actually. I had a draft where out of my seven wins with the Colossal Majesty, sorry, six wins, um, three of them I had less than five cards left in my library at the end of the game. And that was pretty scary. I killed an opponent uh, with my green, blue, black deck with zero cards left in my library. I drew my last card, which was a land, and then killed them. Yeah. But Colossal Majesty is great. Um, I haven't yet 
haven't yet played with the Sarkins Unsealing, which is a little sad because I think that's on the same, like, you want both of those. <laughs> and I really want to play with Sarkins Unsealing. I want to try that card out because I, I need to see. I don't think it's as good because the, the idea with Majesty is I can play it and then eventually it's going to do its thing. Maybe it does its thing now. Maybe it does its thing later. Whereas the Unsealing, I have to play that first and then play the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, no. if, if I draw the cards in the wrong order, I'm really unhappy about it. Do you like two-for-ones? Because you get two-for-ones with Sarkin's Unsealing. You get two-for-one as soon as you play it because you've spent the mana and discarded a card. And then if you can play something after, you get a one-for-one out of the Unsealing. And then after that is when you get the two-for-one. No, it's it's way better than you're giving it credit for. Um, if you see it, I highly recommend drafting it. The key thing is, though, is that you have to go more in than you would for Colossal Majesty. So you're playing, obviously, you're playing green-red and you're drafting things like the 4-2 for three um every every single four power creature you can get you have to jam it in and obviously if you can get some kind of card draw out of it so you're playing your rocks oracles as well so you can dig to it it's just insane um and if you happen to slam a seven power creature like just, the game is just over yeah yeah i Guaranteed. i want to i want to try it i want to try yeah. it you know what card i have tried and has been absolutely terrible for me what's that divination it so sucks it, and i don't want it it's funny because it's so great in Dominaria. Mm-hmm. And then in a format well, where, where your opponent's curving out on you, it's not so great. Well, it's, I, I don't even think that it's, it's, that it's curving out on you. And I also argued that Divination was like the third best Divination in Dominaria. Because there were like 500 ways to draw two cards for one card in Dominaria. Um, you know, you had the Memorial to Genius, which I think was better. I eventually got to where I wanted one of the, you know, Morbid Plunder cards and one Divination. Um, but the, the reason I don't like it here is there's just not mana sinks. I feel like I need every single card I have to do something. And Divination just doesn't. It draws me a land and another card that I put in the deck. And nothing so powerful that I really have to dig for it. And if I do want to dig for it, there's better ways to do it. Like Sick. I can just... Sift, like, now that's a card I'll put in my deck. Um, or I can just use the Rocks Oracles and go dig for whatever card I'm looking for. You know, uh, or, you know, trade off some crap and play a Macabre Waltz. Like, I'm just not interested in Divination. Like, I don't even want it in my good blue decks. They don't have any Divinations. I think there's a place for Divination, but I think it just doesn't go in your average blue deck. Whereas I think in Dominaria, I think you're playing it in your average blue deck. Yeah. I think that's I think that's the difference, right? And I, I just I can't put my finger on it why. Like you said there's no mana sinks, but like I don't know, there's a lot of like I don't think you need to hit your six land drop in blue all that frequently, unlike other colors like green and red and things like that. Like you want to be hitting your six land drop. Um but in blue it's just like you hit your you play your your three two flyer and you're kind of you're kind of doing it, right? You hit your patient rebuilding and you're doing it. You don't need divination to get there. Yeah, maybe that's part of it because we we had kickers in Dominaria where like you wanted to get to six and seven because you were ideally playing all these cards with kicker, and here we just don't have that. So I mean that's sort of the same mana sink thing is you're just not looking to to dig that deep. At least I haven't been. So I've, I'm kind of done with divination. Yeah, the only time I've been really happy with divination was when I was playing uh, Grixis colors for Bolus, and I either wanted to dig for my mana or I wanted to dig for Bolus. Um, but like every other time I've played blue and I've put divination in thinking like, sweet, I want to draw cards. It's just like, if I was playing blue black, it's just like, I just want this to be a mind rod instead. Or if it was, you know, blue green, it's just like, I just want this to be like an elvish rejuvenator. And I don't even like elvish rejuvenator. 
I've played Tormenting Voice and Mind Rot more than I've played Divination. Yeah, me too. And I've played and, Blue more than I've played Black and Red. Yeah. How, how have you been with Mind Rot, though? Like, I've been playing it off and on in the best of ones, and sometimes I'm happy with it, and sometimes I'm not. I, obviously, it depends on the deck, but, like, overall, you're thinking on Mind Rot in, in Quick Draft? I was pretty happy with it. Yeah. Like, it was always one of those cards that I took when I, Black wasn't quite open, but I already had a Murder and a Lich's Caress and a Gravedigger, it's like, I, I got to fill this out. So I just kind of throw the mine rod in there and be like, oh, we'll replace this with something. And then we get to the end and I didn't. So it's not like something I was ever prioritizing or excited to play. But I've been pretty happy having one in hand. Like, I fired them off on turn three because I didn't have anything else to do. I've nabbed two cards and I've also had the heartbreak of top decking it when they don't have anything. And then getting a land out of their hand the turn after. Um, speaking of which, can we do a little bit of education here? Mm-hmm. Play your lands, take them out of your hand, and put them on the battlefield. You're not bluffing anybody when you're holding one land. I know exactly what you have. So anybody that's any good, you're not getting with that. And so many times I'll have people suggest to me that I hold a land to bluff, and then I don't do it. They don't understand why. And then I draw a Rock's Oracle into a Divination, into a Plummet, which is what I needed to kill their Flyer. And I, there was a land in there, too, that I had to play off the divination or it wasn't going to work. And, like, that's what happens when you don't play your lands. Now, yep. knowing that your opponent has a specter that's going to make you discard a card or a mind rot and choosing to hold lands to play around that is an entirely different, you know, ask. That's a whole different thing that you're doing there. But just holding lands for no reason to bluff, you're, you're not bluffing anybody. Yeah. Think about it. The only times, I mean, you can hold them for Waltz and Tormenting Voice. Sure. Or versus Mind Rot or Spectre on the other side of the table. And that's pretty much it. Um, trying to think here. The opportunity to double spell is huge. If, you, if you're playing Black and you have Gravedigger or Waltz, the opportunity to be able to play it and get something back and play that something back that same turn is huge gravedigger specifically because that's a lot of mana like you're looking at eight mana potentially and if you if you have two lands in hand and then you draw gravedigger off the top and you play one of those lands it's like man that that ninth land or that eighth land could have been the difference between you playing a creature this turn and not and that's the key thing that you need to keep in mind i don't mind holding land once and then just playing it out the next turn so once they've already had the opportunity to figure out that you're bluffing or not um, but even then you don't get any value off of it. It's just kind I, of like, 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 why are you keeping it at that point? So here's the thing about bluffing lands in hand. And I, I said this on your stream the other day is that good players will pick up that you have a land in hand very quickly, like you said. So it reduces the, the value of your bluff to zero past the first turn. The second thing is, is that not so good players will not even notice they don't care how many cards you have in your hand. They don't care what cards are in your hand. They're looking at their own cards and their own creatures and trying to figure out how they live the next turn. You can't bluff them with a land in your hand. So the only players you can bluff are the players like you, the general you, that are holding those lands to bluff. But they also know that they hold lands to bluff, so they know that you could be doing that. So it's just kind of this like next-level guessing game, which takes way too much mental energy. And it's just like, then you draw your macabre waltz, and you're like, oh, crap, I could have double spell this turn and now i can't um and and you just kind of hose yourself so just play your lands out unless you have a very very good reason that is not bluffing i'm even going to argue with you on that it's okay to hold one it's not i did that i drew a divination into Slimefoot, 
and I couldn't get my lands out fast enough to make enough tokens, mm-hmm. and I lost a game because of it. It's a long time ago in Dominaria when it was new, and that's the last time I've held a land. Since then, again, there's some reasons to. Tormenting Voice, Macabre Waltz are two big ones in this format. There'll always be something like that in a format. But if you don't have a compelling reason to play the land, just get rid of the mental load and play the darn thing. Agreed. Agreed. Especially in Arena when they know you don't have a counterspell because your turn auto-passes. Yeah, yeah, you're not fooling anybody. Nope. Especially those people in paper where they'll like draw their draw their land. There's their only card in hand and they'll look at it and then they'll pass the turn and you'll play something. And I won't even like sometimes when I think they have a counter spell, I like hold it over the table and be like, Are you gonna counter this? Like I'll slowly put it down and I'll say like with a question mark, like I'm playing my colossal dreadmaw question mark. And they'll like sit there and they'll look at their card and they'll lift it up and they'll put it back down on the table. And it's like, okay, I know you don't have it. Like, just just show me your land, and I'm just going to play my Dreadmaw, and you're going to go on your merry way. But it's like, no, they, they continue to do the dance where they, like, lift it up off the table and put it back down. Count and on their say, fingers. Yeah. And they, like, tap the table. It's like, am I dead next turn? Hmm. All right, pass the turn. And then they, like, the next turn, they'll, like, top deck. They'll pull their card off the top, play the land that was in their hand from before, and then cast their spell that they, they just drew. And it's like, it's like, what's the point? Why are we doing this dance? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, little soapbox, but I needed to get that one off my chest. No, and you wanted to... There was one other soapbox you wanted to get on for M19. Um, and that was the one drops, the Motivator and the Rustwing Falcon in red-white. Yeah, they're terrible. Don't play them. I might fight you on this one. I kind of like the Motivator. Let's fight. Let's fight. All so right. tell me what Goblin Motivator does. First off, what is it? It's a one-mana 1-1. One, one. Mm-hmm. You can tap it to give haste to another creature. Yeah. We saw a creature functionally the same as this in M and Cat. Yes. Uh, it, it was absolutely playable in M and Cat, although I would hesitate to call it good. Um, I, it was definitely playable there. I don't think it's playable here. I think it's playable in a red-white aggressive deck and sometimes a black-red menace deck. And here's why. It feels like this format, especially on Magic Arena, is all about like curving out and being consistent. And what this guy does is he's, he kind of cheats your damage in an extra turn earlier. So he's almost like the druid of the cowl for red, but not really. What he's doing is he's he obviously gives all of your creatures haste or the creature you're playing that turn haste. Now in red white, what that means is that you play him on turn one. He's only good on turn one. He's very rarely is he good after that. On turn two, you play your, assuming you're on the play, Vishino Pyromancer, you hit them for two, you hit them for another two because of the haste. Or whatever two drop that you have in 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 red white. Sometimes you have a three one. Sometimes you have a walking corpse in in black. Let's say, but either way, you're getting that damage in a turn early. And then if you're playing red white, the dream is to turn three Pegasus Courser. So now you've gone one two three, which I realize is the nut hand. Um, but now you're attacking in the air with the Pegasus Courser. In in black, um, generally even like a Bogger Brute is fine in red. Actually, Bogger Brute's pretty good on, on the haste if you're on the play in red because your opponent can't double block it yet usually. On turn four in white, it's the stag is his best friend. So even if you don't curve out exactly, him plus a stag is huge on the play because, again, it's like giving your creature menace. Uh, your opponent generally doesn't have any good blocks after that, and it's very hard for them. So if you have any combination of one drop plus two drop plus Pegasus Courser or plus stag... Um, it's very good. And then in black red, you're looking for those menace creatures to give haste, like your two-headed zombie or your bogger brute, um, or the brawl bash ogre, for example. It just speeds your curve up essentially a turn. 
Um, and then in the late game, in the mid to late game, you're giving your your dragons haste or whatever your flyers are. You're giving them haste. Um, but he really serves his purpose well in a very specific, very aggressive deck in, in red, white, or red, black. Um, and outside of that, he's not very good. So that's my defense of the Goblin Motivator. It may be that I just haven't drafted that deck. Um, because when I did red, white, it was very much a focus on going wide mm-hmm. rather than going fast. And there uh, are so two I, versions of that deck for sure. Yeah, so it, it may be that I just haven't played this deck myself, but every time my opponents played it, I felt like I was I was automatically ahead as soon as I saw them drop that guy. I think it depends if you're if they're on the player of the draw. I've had my opponent go play turn one Goblin Motivator, and I've been very scared because of my hand is not curving out very well. Like, if I'm yeah. playing blue and I've got an Omen Speaker and I can just throw the Omen Speaker in front of it, or I'm playing a Doom Dissenter and I can just throw that in front of it, then it's like, I don't care. But if I'm like, if my first play is turn three, I could be taking six damage by the time I get a creature on the board. And that that is scary. That is scary. I'll give you that. Yeah. How many Goblin Motivators do I need to put in my deck to have one on turn one? Because I don't want two, right? No. Like, it, you're putting it in there for the nut draw. You're not putting it in there to be consistent, I think. So you're That's looking... probably why I don't get to play the card, is I don't want yeah. nut draws. I, I want consistency. You're looking to hit home runs with it, right? So that's why I like to have things in my red-white or my red-black deck that I can give haste later in the game. So like Menace is very good for that, right? You give your two-headed zombie Menace, or it's very good with the Brawl Bash Ogre. Smashing it sure, with 5-5 five, five sure. haste is very good. Um, but it also plays well with the Angel. Um, all of a sudden you've got a 4-4 four, four Vigilance Flyer with haste. It's pretty good on like turn six or turn seven if you don't start with motivator in your opening hand. So sometimes he's dead, but I don't think it's it's as often as you would think. And I think you start with him in your opening hand enough that I mean it's it's kind of the same as playing a druid of the cowl, right? It's like sometimes you're in a top deck late and it sucks because it's just a chump blocker. Um, but all the times you draw it in your opening hand more than make up for that like those dead draws in the mid to late game. And I think the motivator is kind of in that same realm of style of card when it comes to evaluating it for its late game versus early game, like late game risk versus early game reward. You're not wrong, but I feel like the one, three body on the Druid is still pseudo relevant. Oh, Druid is way better. Don't get me wrong. Like Druid is way better in the long run, um, in the grand scheme of things. But I think, I think you can't sleep on the motivator. Um, especially like if, if white didn't have the angel and the courser and the stag, I don't think it would be as good in that kind of archetype. And if black didn't have all the menace and also just the the dragons that don't have haste on their own, like if you give the the five five flyer haste or something like that, like that's very very good in red. Um, I don't know. You can give your like your four three tramplers haste. There's just there's all of these edge cases. Now you can't go wrong if you never put it in your deck. I just think that there are specific decks that'll want it, and you can carve out a space for it in that deck. Maybe I'll give it a try. I I don't want to be unfair to the card, and I don't want to not have that in my wheelhouse if it's a valid strategy. Because mm-hmm. I have people suggesting to me that I pick that and Rustwing Falcons, and that that's what you're supposed to do with an inspired charge. And I'm like, no, nah, dude, I want the, the guy that makes two goblin tokens, and I want gallant cavalries. And I've won a lot of games with those in inspired charge, and mm-hmm. it's it's really good and satisfying. Um, but m- m- maybe I just need to recognize that he's not for the go-wide deck. He's no. he's for something else. Exactly. He's he's for the like menace or or the the evasive threat deck because he essentially, you know, giving giving things haste is kind of like giving them evasion if your opponent 
is not leaving back blockers in a way. So I don't know. It, it's weird, but um, your go wide deck is is a very very different strategy. Sometimes they so, overlap, right? Sometimes you're playing your Pegasus Coursers. I mean, you're always playing your Pegasus Coursers in your go wide deck. Um, but yeah, just different different styles, which is interesting. I don't think I've really seen an archetype kind of like or like a color combo have like two or three different strategies that were all feasible and all kind of use cards that overlap with each other. Okay. So it, what's the maximum number you'd play of these if I want to take them on a test drive? I would probably play one. Um, I would play two if my curve stopped at like four and I was playing 16 lands. Okay. But I maybe, think if maybe I'll give him another shot. I think if your curve stops at four, um, like you're probably winning the game just on consistency alone. Yeah. Right. So you may not but, even need it at that point. But, He's best friends with your Bogger Brute. Yeah, and I really like Bogger Brute. And in a best of one where your opponent can't side in a bunch of like extra one threes and two ones to block your your early haste creatures, I think it's I think you can get the surprise value for sure. I've been playing so many one threes. Like they're I've so been playing good. two Druid of the Cows, two Omen Speakers, and I feel like I just don't care what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, let's sit here, let's stabilize, let's draw some cards. Let's play some flyers. When it gets to the late game, I'll trade you this 1-3 for your best card. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned Rustwing Falcon. I don't think it goes in either of those decks. I think that's like a green-white aura card. Okay. So that's Where something it, that you want to try to put pants on and cross your fingers. Yeah, like I've faced down turn one Rustwing Falcon, turn two Knights, whatever, dub or whatever, plus two, plus two, um, and had a very tough time beating that. Okay. Well... You pick more disperses, man, because I've had people try to do that and be like, whatever, I'm a bounce it. Yeah. And like, there is no feeling better than bounce. Like, especially when you're in blue, because you've got snapping drakes. Like, once they put an enchantment on it and you bounce it, you, you functionally killed it because it's not getting through your drake. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, that, that's that's really turned me off to the Rustwing Falcon. I don't think I could do that because I'd need to be playing like four Rustwing Falcons to make sure I have one and then four of the plus two plus twos. And that's just, that's a little too much all in for me. I just don't like that strategy. I agree. It's, it's again, it's swinging for the fences, but without a late game upside of it. Um, whereas yeah. like you said, with a Druid, you still have, you can still double spell. You can still block things with a motivator. You can give something big tra- uh, haste or something like that. But um, yeah, I wonder how the motiv- the motivator would be in green red now that I think about it. Cause you'd be giving your big dumb things haste. I don't think it would be as good in that because your early drops don't have evasion Whereas in, okay. in, in red and black and um, and white, you have the evasion. I don't think you'd be interested in blue either, because that no. archetype really seems to center around spells. Yeah. yeah. That's the I, one where I found the the five mana 2-2 two, two that gets a spell out of your graveyard to be the best. I had a deck with three elect. Oh, that was the Bolas deck. It had three Electrifies and two of those guys to get back spells. And I was just firing off Electrifies willy-nilly because they were coming back. And a Splashed Gravedigger. Like... That was the dumbest thing I've ever done. We're like, okay, I'll electrify your dude, get it back, trade this 2-2 off or something, grave dig it back, get back the electrify. You just kept going. Yeah, Salvager of Secrets has been surprisingly good for me. Um, goes much better in a controlling style deck, like you said, but I've bought back Macabre Waltzes and Divinations. And if you can go infinite with Macabre Waltz and it, I think you've done it. I think that's some kind of achievement. That's a bingo square for sure. We'll have to check with the Lords of Limited Gentlemen, but I think that's got to be a bingo square. Let's go hit them up. All right. Well, it sucks that M19 is going away for Quick Draft. Hopefully it comes back soon. I'm going to jump back to Magic Online, I think, next week. 
I'm going to continue drafting through with Dominaria. If I get super bored of it, I can always go back to Magic Online. But I liked Dominaria. And like I said, enough of my audience is really into this cycle on Arena. So I'm just going to kind of enjoy that. If Triple M and Ket, uh, like I'm certainly going to do that for a day. But that might get too much for me to want to sit and jam it for a week. So that might be where I, I bounce back over to uh, Magic Online. I really wish that was the same week that they're doing the Chaos Drafts. But it's not. It's the week after. So hopefully that lines up with them doing Rivals of Ixalan or something. And I, I don't miss it. I look forward to seeing you on Magic Online again. It'll be great. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. All right. I think that's going to wrap us up this week. Unless you got anything else you want to talk about? Nah, sounds good to me. All right. Well, thanks again to uh face-to-face games for the host and support uh we want to plug the patreon this week uh so if you're a member of the patreon if you're a patron patron of ours uh make sure you get in there and we'll uh, start talking about rewards i had somebody ask me about um uh draft videos this week so we should oh, uh, cool. yeah we should get on that and uh just poke us and uh throw a message up on there and and let us know that uh that you want to claim one of your rewards and if you're not a patron feel free to uh check us out that's at uh, patreon.com slash men from moto uh, but we appreciate the listenership regardless whether you are a patron or not. And uh, where can they find you drafting M19 and Dominaria this week? You can find me at twitch.tv slash simulan. If you are listening to this and not playing Arena and you want to be, come ask my chat for a beta key because everybody's got five and uh, it, it takes seconds to get one in there. I've still got like three left myself, but I haven't needed to give them out on stream because so many people have them and want to give them out. Yeah, it's kind of great. You should be able to... If you want in, you can get in. Just find somebody. Yeah. And uh, you can catch me at uh, twitch.tv slash dcivillian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. I always question myself why I give away my Twitch tag here. And then every time I give away my Twitch tag here, somebody follows me. So thank you, random follower this week. I look forward <laughs> to seeing you on my stream. So thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.